Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And today we get to talk with one of my favorite people on this earth. It is Kelly Thorne. Kelly and I connected online. I was doing an interview and she happened to catch the interview. I think it was a Facebook Live or whatever it was two and a half years ago. And she heard me share my story and the struggles and the lessons and what I had learned and what I was going through and what I was doing with my story. And it sparked something in her to feel that she really wanted to dive in and learn more. And that's what we did. I've I've connected and worked with her, but she is such a great friend. And I'm so, so proud of where she has come and what she's done with her story. So today she shares so openly with us the struggles of being able to find her voice, to trust her voice, to be able to show up in a video at an event, to speak, to share, to now honestly, reaching out and creating these events so that she can speak, so she can make a difference with others. And Kelly is an advocate for families living alongside addiction. Her mission is to help families find freedom in their own lives, remove guilt, and empower themselves on their journey of self-discovery. She shares her own personal story with us, and she shares how really it came full circle, and she realized how much personal work she had to do and the power of ownership and what happened when she decided to own her own choices in her story. So she is exactly the person that this podcast is all about. And I could not be more excited, more proud of her. And I'm thrilled for you to get to hear this episode. So take a second, listen, tune in, and I'd love to hear your takeaways and shout outs for Kelly, because honestly, she really shared from the soul and I just, I couldn't be more proud of her. I just so excited to have you here, Kelly. Thank you. You are so welcome. Kelly and I connected probably about two and a half years ago now, I think online. And Kelly is forever my reminder of the importance of sharing your story because sometimes the most incredible, beautiful people are right there. You just can't see them because you're not showing up. So I am just, anyways, I'm very, very grateful for our connection. So I'm thrilled to have you on this podcast. So I have a few questions to ask you to get started so that people can get to know a little bit more about you. Where are you from? St. Catharines, Ontario. St. Catharines, Ontario. And are you a reader? Uh, Yes, I am. (laughs) Okay, good. What is your favorite book or a book that's had an impact on you? Well, you know this one. It's Love Warrior by Glennon Melton Doyle. And I remember reading that book and it was at the early stages of my whole story. And um, 
I think I stopped like in the middle of the street because I was listening to it on audio mm-hmm. and I couldn't believe that someone was sharing their story that openly and that right. had a huge impact on me. That is, uh, that is still one of my favorite books when I'm on podcasts and people ask me, it's usually a Brene Brown book and the mm-hmm. Love Warrior by Glennon, um, Glennon Doyle. And when I read that yeah, one, Brene's I, good too. I did not know what I was going to be getting in for. Like, I really wasn't sure. And I kind of thought it was like a girly book, to be honest. <laughs> and then I started reading it. I'm like, what the, wow, this book is just, it's an incredible book. I actually have it to kind of thought it was going to be a love story. So did I. Sorry. <laughs> no, so did I. Yeah, so did I. And I thought it was going to be that kind of story. And I'm like, that's not me. I wasn't sure what it was going to be, but it is a phenomenal book. And as we dive into your story, that will start to make more sense. Now, favorite quote. Do you have a favorite quote? Oh, I've had a few. My most recent one is keep it simple. <laughs> Just oh. keep it simple and not overthink things. <laughs> How appropriate is that for recording this podcast? Can I just say that? <laughs> yeah, I've had a few. I've had some long ones. Um, but yeah, that one's really, Isn't it really strong it right now in my life. Yeah. It breaks it right down to what's important. Right. Um, do you have a favorite or a great mentor who has impacted your life? Oh, I've been thinking about this one because I knew you were going to ask. Mm-hmm. And when I was driving home from work today, what came to mind was anyone who goes outside of their comfort zone, anyone who shows a great amount of courage, whether it's trying something new um, or overcoming an enormous amount of obstacle and digging their way out and then offering support to others. Mm. So you would fall into that category, <laughs> but, uh, but even, you know, some of my students that I see at school show yeah. an immense amount of courage and yeah, I think anyone who really stretches themselves. I love that. I love that. It's like the qualities as opposed to a person. Like I like right. to focus on the qualities of that. I love that. What yeah. lights you up? Hmm. What's something that lights you up and you're excited about? I love talking about addiction and families and uh, struggles that people have been through and how you can become resilient and uh, find your way to the other side. That's what lights me up. So that, and here's the beautiful thing. Like, you know, that majority of the people that does not light them up at all. So I love that you are diving into topics that not everybody wants to tackle, but let's be real. They're topics that affect so many people that I'm so grateful that you do speak on them. Mm -hmm. I feel like I could talk for days on those topics. Yeah. I've heard you. You're great. You're a great speaker when it comes to that. That is your zone. What, um, can I ask you this question before we get into your story? What does impact mean to you? What does the word impact mean to you? A second impact for me, um, means that the actions that you're taking and the actions that you're taking in your daily life are reflected onto someone else so that they can live a better life for themselves, or they take what you have done to make their lives better. I love that. So it's paying that forward, like really paying that forward to make their lives better. 
Right. Absolutely love that. Or or it's like a ripple effect. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They they not just being inspired, but actually taking those same actionable steps and utilizing them in their own life. Absolutely. You know what? Inspiration only takes us so far. And I think that's the missing thing sometimes is like, it really doesn't, it doesn't take us to the end game. The inspiration gets us started, but what we do with it and getting into action and in those decisive like steps of action is what creates a ripple effect. Thinking about it doesn't do it. It's doing it. Right. And, And there's a lot of positivity out there, but what are you doing with that? And how are you using that in your daily life? And not every day is going to be sunshine and roses, right? But how do you handle yourself in those difficult situations? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I would love it if you would share a little bit of your story with us. Tell us, tell us about Kelly, please. Okay. Um, where, where do I start? <laughs> no, I know. You can start wherever you want. You can start wherever you want. Tell us a little bit about, like you shared a little bit about what excites you, what you do, what you do intend to do and continue to share your story. And where does that come from? Where does that sense of feeling that, you know, what lights you up is talking about addiction, talking about families dealing with addiction? <clears throat> okay. I think, I think, I think it lights me up now and it's so important to me because I hid behind a wall of shame for so many years. I was in denial about uh, what was going on with myself and my family and uh, the situation that we were in. I was in huge denial. I was minimizing things, um, trying to rationalize why things were happening. Um, And I didn't reach out and ask for help because of the shame that was associated with my story. And it's hard to ask for help, right? I mean, it's hard in any way to ask for, I just, we've got this thing where it's not that it's looked down upon, but it's just, it's hard to ask for help. Well, and I think we spend all our, our entire lives building up these personas of who we want to be and who we think we want people to think we are. And, and it doesn't look anything like that. Right. I I was really caught in the people pleasing, um, I'm a secondary school teacher, so I felt like there was a certain amount of expectation to be a role model, and I thought, how could I possibly ask for help when I'm the one who's supposed to be mm-hmm. mentoring others? What I think that's point. what no, that's a really, that's a really great observation, Kelly, and that's a really good point, is that for anybody, if you're in that position where you are in a position of... I don't want to call it authority, but like you are a leader and you're looking at it going like, well, how can I possibly ask for help when I'm supposed to be the mentor to all of these students? Like, how is that possible? Mm-hmm. I feel like in a way I felt like I was living a double life because yeah. the persona that I was portraying uh, was not how I was living at all. So and how much energy does it take to live that fake Sorry, you could hear the big sigh that just dropped from the other end of the computer. (laughs) Well, yeah, because I don't have to live like that anymore, and it's so freeing and it's such a relief to be able to speak openly and talk about things that a lot of people don't want to talk about or they're still embarrassed to talk about. But I feel like if you hear, like in your case, when I heard your story. Mm-hmm. even though our stories were a little bit different, I thought, oh my gosh, she gets it. 
she gets exactly what I'm going through, the feelings, the emotions. Um, it's almost like you feel like you're wearing a million different masks in all of the different settings that you put yourself in and you lost who, who you are. I lost really who I was and it was trying to find your way back to that person. See, and this is where I think it's, you were, there's a couple of things that came up for me here. And I know it is something you can relate to is the fact that like when we connected, you were probably one of the first people where I learned and understood that my story can actually apply to people who don't live my story. That was, you were, that's probably that connection that I learned from you. And I think it's really important because we all have a lot of different like we experience emotions, we experience um, challenges, and I think that, but but our emotions and what we feel is very similar. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I think all of us have had a story where we feel like we couldn't pick ourselves up off the floor, and right. we... <laughs> We felt like we were like suffocating or living in a hole or hiding from the world. You know, I think you had said in that first interview, I heard, you know, you didn't even want to go to the grocery store. And mm -hmm. that's exactly how I felt, right? Mm -hmm. Well, because the hiding gets to be such a factor. Like we literally, we, we hide at work. We put the fake smile on. We hide there. We, put, we do this. We avoid people. We hide. And then all of a sudden, it's just the circle just has to keep getting smaller and smaller because it's just, you're just literally hiding from everyone. <laughs> that there's nowhere else to go anymore. And I think at the very end, like in the, um, I guess that there came to a point during my story, I guess, which we will get into. Mm -hmm. um, I felt, you know, even going to work, I didn't talk to people at work. I just hid in my classroom, didn't talk to anyone outside of that room unless they came into the room because you didn't want to put yourself in a position of being vulnerable or breaking down and crying or, yeah. um, so you just, yeah, I became so isolated from everyone. Right. Right. And then the mask just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Like it just keeps getting thicker and thicker and thicker. The mask. So the, the mask, the fake oh. smile, the, yeah, everything's Heavy. great. So yeah, right? it's amazing. You can, so how does Kelly, go from that state where she is so like leading this double life, completely exhausted, wearing the mask, faking it at school, just trying to keep her stuff together. How does Kelly go from that state to, to, to today where not only do you like you openly speak about addiction now, you openly like speak at meetings. You, I mean, you've spoken within your school. So how does Kelly go from there to here? How does that happen? What does that look like? Oh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well, I do know. Um, so our family's history is addiction. Um, I guess with myself, yeah, hundred percent with myself and my spouse, uh, got to a point where, um, we had lost everything. Mm -hmm. I, and I, I actually, I knew it was getting bad. I just didn't realize how bad at the time until, I had a chance to step away from it. So um, active addiction, active addiction with drugs was present. Um, alcoholism was present in myself. And it got to a point, there were many years that were terrifying, volatile, um, 
just, uh, just really scary, really scary <laughs> times. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize, you know, it's like living, it's like being on a roller coaster and that you can't get off, no. but it's not, you know, fine roller coasters. It's scary and it's scary all the time. And, um, it got to a point for me that I realized I had two choices and it was either to stay and continue accepting this and continue living this way and things could get a whole lot worse. Um, and I didn't want to see what that looked like. That would have, I, I didn't want to know where that was going to go or I could choose to leave. And hopefully I didn't know what was going to happen with my family if I chose to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew, I knew I had to try. And, uh, I think I left three times through like my family home three times that year. I kept going back because you're hopeful that things will change. Right. And, uh, finally the third time I thought, no, you can't keep doing this to yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and so you, if you really, like you talk about this and I, and I just want to touch on this is the fact that you really had two unknowns. Like you knew staying the direction that it was going in was not going to be good for anyone, but there was always that hope that this was going to change. And then you also didn't know what was going to happen if you left. So both had a lot of unknowns. It's kind of like you chose the unknown that you didn't know. Like you knew, it's like you always choose like right. the beast that you, you got two beasts. We have the beast that we have right now and we know what that feels like. And we have the unknown beast over here that can be just as scary, but we don't know what that is. And you had to make a decision for one of the two and you mm-hmm. decided to go for the hopeful of the unknown that you didn't know which direction that would lead. And where did that lead you? Well, at first it wasn't, you know, it's not as easy as it sounds. It's no. not like you, I know it's not, you know, you walk out and you're kind of on your way. Um, it was yeah. scary. I mm-hmm. fell into a deep depression, um, because there's there, I think, I don't know if it was the responsibility. I don't think I was thinking of that at the time. Mm-hmm. It was just the devastation that your family has fallen apart. Yes. Um, I wasn't ready to take on the blame for it. There was a whole lot of blame when I left. Of course. A whole lot of finger pointing. And I remember I could barely, barely get my kids to school, pick them up from school. Mm-hmm. I had taken a year off work. Um, and, you know, it was just little, like during that time, I remember just having a shower was monumental. And I would write down, three things on a piece of paper for what I was going to do that day. Mm. It, it, it usually involved having a shower and some days I couldn't even get to that, uh, going for a walk. And that's when I started to listen to some audiobooks that were recommended. I couldn't read. I didn't have the attention span to read then. Um, I'm, so I, sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, no. I understand. And I think that that's really important for everyone who's listening. When you're in a trauma space, like the thought of reading, people used to say to me, you have to read. I'm like, I can't even focus on the words. My brain couldn't take them in. Audiobooks helped, but I do know, and I just want to share that with people to understand that it's okay if you are not in a space that you can read. I know it's important to change and shift your thinking, but boy, when you're in the middle of that kind of trauma, your brain has a hard time even processing words. Mm-hmm. And I think because of, of 
the circumstances that were surrounding our situation at the time, every minute of the day was unpredictable. You did not know how it was going to go. I didn't know. I didn't want to pick up my phone. I didn't want to open my emails. I didn't want to answer, like answering the door. So the thought of doing anything more than having a shower, maybe getting out for a walk, um, you know, just the daily unpredictability was exhausting. Mm and putting out fires. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I've learned how to deal with things a whole lot different. And my reaction is totally different. But I was okay. living in a space then that I reacted to every, every single thing. And that Can was you exhausting. actually elaborate on that for me, Kelly? Because I think that's a really important thing that you're talking about there. And what reaction, like what that looks like. Because we always do have a choice in how we react to something. But when we're not in a space that we are fulfilled or a good stable space ourselves, I find we are more reactive to everything. Mm -hmm. I think we want to be heard. We want our, we want to get a point across. Yeah. Um, And I think sometimes not, someone's not ready to receive your message. Right. 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 And, and you're not in a space where you know how to give that message in the best of ways. I know there was a lot of anger. that I was feeling at the time. I was hurt. I was sad. Um, all of the emotions, Mm -hmm. right. And then there were times where things were like hopeful. Mm -hmm. So when you're experiencing those strong emotions, everything that any type of communication that comes in, it's Mm -hmm. almost like an urgency to respond an Mm -hmm. urgency to get the last word. If they would only understand but you're not the one who's going to be able to get them the message because you're not in control of your own emotions. And, and, and maybe it's the learning curve isn't supposed to come from you, right? Like maybe it's, it's your job is to keep yourself and listen to what you need, but maybe your job isn't, it's it's not ever. It's not to give someone else the message, right? no. They have to be in a space where they're ready to receive and seek out the information themselves. And that, yeah, likely won't come from the person who's closest. No. So how do you make that happen faster? How do you get somebody to receive the message faster, to hear it faster? You don't respond. Oh, see, this is, this is, I love you. You're so good. <laughs> it was like a trick question for anybody who didn't know, but I knew what she was going to say. You can't, right? It's not your job. It's just not your job to, no. to change that message for them. Your job is to put your energy back on yourself in order to create more change in your life. So with these three things that you were doing, do you see it as those three things are the things that kept adding up that allowed you to fill yourself back up so that you could? Right. Okay. Right. care of you. Is that, does that make sense? Yep. So I went from like three basic things to, okay, okay, I'm going to try to incorporate yoga. Mind you, I haven't done yoga really since then, Mm -hmm. but it was really important in my life just to slow down because my mind was racing a mile a minute. I wasn't sleeping. I was up all night. Mm -hmm. Um, I was exhausted. And then, so you're trying to find things that nourish you. Mm. So that's where the yoga practice came in and it was forcing me to stop forcing Mm -hmm. me to slow down even though I wasn't doing a whole lot 
You don't have to. <laughs> you know, no, right? No, but. you don't. You don't have to. I think that that's really important is that you worked on having those three things that you could do on a regular basis. And then when you had built a bit of a stable base, then you could add something else <clears throat> and add something else in. Instead of saying, this is, I think, is really important message for everybody too, is it's not about, you know, let's add 10 things in that I know I need to do, but I can't even manage two of them. So now I'm failing because I have 10 and I can't do them. You've built it so that you had that base of three and then you continually added and added to it to be the self-care things that you needed. Right. And, you know, I think I have two kids. They're 11 years old right now. At the time, they would have been nine. Mm -hmm. So it would take everything I had to, you know, be a mom and wake up with them and make their lunches and get them to school. And, you know, I had support. I have amazing uh, family support. My mom was able to step in and help for the days that I just couldn't do it or mm-hmm. I couldn't leave the house. And this is going back, gosh, maybe three and a half years now. Okay. So, yeah, it, it almost seems like it was a light year away. Like mm-hmm. So far away, it's, it's right? So far away from where things are at now. Um, there came a point in time where you shared your story. One of the first times, I'm not sure if it was a meeting or if it was one of my events. I can't remember where, but I know, like, I know it's so wonderful to watch, like even in the last year from when you shared your story to the way you share it now, can you just explain to somebody who's listening in what that journey has been like from then till now, just so people can relate because there's this whole misconception when you're looking at somebody or you're listening to them on a podcast and you think, Oh my God, they've got it. So like they make it look so easy and they're so strong and I can't do that. Meanwhile, it's been a growth journey because you keep putting yourself out there and practicing and doing and speaking and practicing and doing. But I would love for you to kind of explain that journey for someone so that they can understand a little bit more of what that has been like. It didn't happen overnight. No, it did not. <laughs> no. And you know, anytime I've shared my story, there, there's a, or anytime I do any type of public speaking, except when I'm in front of a classroom. But anytime I do any type of other public speaking, there's a certain amount of nervousness um, that I experience. And I think that's part of the process and that's normal. Mm -hmm. The first time I remember sharing, it was in a meeting, uh, but I, but in front of, you know, I guess, I think it was at your event. You had asked me to speak at one of your events Mm -hmm. and my story the story has evolved since then and I've okay. been able to extract more of the lessons yeah. instead yeah. of, um, instead of just, you know, spitting out everything that happened. That was horrible in the last <laughs> three years. <laughs> Is it, that's what people do though, right? Because you're just learning and that's what we do. And, you know, I think I was really careful the first time I shared it that I didn't want it to be about me. I didn't want it to be about all the things that happened to me. But I remember looking at a couple of the women in the audience going like, they look horrified right now. And, <laughs> and I couldn't get no, it. Sorry, you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's, I don't think that was the response that I was looking for. No. Um, 
But it's part of the part of the process, right? It's part of the process of coming through. When you were talking about really difficult stories, I'm sorry, nobody gets up the first time and like like says it beautifully. There's no tears, there's no emotions because it's yeah. not relatable. That's not relatable well, at all. Well, that was my expectation of how it would go. Oh, but it didn't, it didn't go like that. No, no, it didn't. And what happened? Were people so horrified that nobody spoke to you and they completely avoided you after the event? Is that what happened? No, no. no. There was a few people who reached out after. They thanked me for sharing. They could relate to a lot of, I think that was the biggest part. They could relate to a lot of what I had been through because they had been through mm-hmm. the same thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So maybe I didn't share it as eloquently as I had hoped, but I think that was part of the healing for me too, because it was the first time, um, aside from sharing it privately with someone, it was the first time that I had to share it publicly. And, and, and I think when you're sharing like that, you want to extract the pieces that will help people. Mm -hmm. It's new, right? You really, yeah. You're learning. I was learning. And I know anytime I've done something since then, be it a Facebook live or an interview, that was new for me too. Mm-hmm. You know, I did a three minute speaking course last year and I had to record a 30 second intro 100 times before I hit submit. Okay. I love the- but that's where I was and that's okay. It is okay. That's exactly right. That's the answer. It is okay. And I love how, um, you can't see this, but we're laughing. Is that when Kelly, <laughs> a year ago, she actually took a screenshot of all of her video attempts and posted it one year later. Right. Is that correct? Right. We right. did a video again. And it's really, really important to see it because I love that. Like, here's the thing. I think you did a beautiful job showcasing the journey so people could understand that, oh my God, you actually did actually record it like a hundred times. And then you finally released it. That's part of the journey. Learning to trust your voice is part of the journey. Trusting and having faith that the right words are going to come out is part of the journey. It's all part of it. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, and you know, you want to talk about rehearsed. I had notes. I had them stuck on the wall. You could see my eyes darting around because I didn't trust my voice. I didn't trust that the right right words would come to me in that moment. So if you didn't trust your voice, how do you get to a space of learning how to trust your voice? You keep doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you keep doing it. You keep showing up. You keep showing up and you keep doing it. It takes practice and it takes work. You know what? If you think about it, it takes so much practice and it takes so much work. And you think of how stressful you were, stressed you were when you first did this a year ago. Why is it important when you look back now? Why is it important that you did all of that legwork to get to here? Why is it important? For me, it's because I feel it's an important message that mm-hmm. I would... You know, I, th- I think back to myself three years ago, and if I had heard this message, mm-hmm. and if I had, you know, I don't even want to say tools, because I think, I don't think I was in a place to use tools then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just needed to hear that it was okay what I was going through, that someone else had mm-hmm. been through the same, maybe same sort of thing. Yeah. And I could see 
where they were on the other side and what they did with their story. And, and, you know, and some people won't share it and that's totally okay. Not everyone needs to share their story, but I truly believe it offers hope to someone who's in a position like that. Is that why you decided to share your story? Cause you said it exactly right. Not everybody has to, they don't have to, but what was the turning point for you where you were like, you know what? I think I'm supposed to share this. Mm. two parts for me I was done hiding Mm. I I was done um so you know just to share a little bit of some insight I went to treatment for six weeks Mm -hmm. and we talked a lot about taking off the masks and I, I still didn't understand that there I was starting to get it But even when I went to treatment, I thought, wait a minute, no one knows me here. I can be whoever I want, Mm -hmm. right? I can act however I want. Yes. You know, I always admired the people who are so outgoing and bubbly and, um, you know, just full of life. So I tried that on for a couple of days. (laughs) Yes. Because, right? Like, you're it's a fresh Yes, I love it. I just tried it on. Yeah, it was a fresh start. Yeah. And I thought, no one's going to know any different, but people did because they know when you're being authentic and they know when you're not. Right. And I remember someone that I had just met there and I had only been there for a couple of days. He came up to me and he's like, what are you doing? (laughs) I'm like, pardon? He goes, what are you doing with the act and the, you're in treatment. No one's this excited to be here. (laughs) Sorry for laughing at you. Oh my God, I love this. I love it. Thank you for sharing this. But, you know, I was because I was ready. I was ready for something different. I was ready. um, I was ready for change. I didn't know how that was going to look. I knew I was there uh, for alcoholism. I didn't think I was an alcoholic, but I think when I went, I was just looking for a six-week escape. Um, Mm -hmm. We had just sold our house. Uh, and I, you know, it was the end of May. We had just sold our house and I thought my kids are going to be in school for another month. Mm -hmm. I can wait for them and go to the gym while they're at school. I wasn't returning to work until September, or Mm -hmm. I can really take a look at myself and see, Mm -hmm. uh, see if there's something here because I've been seeing a counselor, uh, Mm -hmm. for that year. And she suggested maybe treatment would be an option for me. can I, can I just interject here? Because there's a part of your story that I really, I know it and I, mm-hmm. I love it. And I think it's important there. You didn't just go and say, Hey, I think I'm here for treatment for myself. No. How did you get to that space? I know the story. I think it's important to share it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do I. So my, when I first uh, left my family home, uh, mm-hmm. a couple months after that, my ex-husband now, he, I don't know, call it an intervention, if you will. He agreed to go to treatment himself. And so that would have been in January. Of, mm-hmm. So the year that I'm talking about that I went, that would have been January. Mm-hmm. He went for a couple weeks. Uh, it wasn't for him. He came back and I, you know, I was full of fear. I was still full of fear then. And I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And then I remembered him talking about a family program. And at the time when he was in treatment, I thought, I don't need to go to a family program. 
you're the one, and that's where the blame came in. You're the one with the problem. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need to do anything. You're the one that needs to do something. Yes. And he said, well, no, the counselor thinks it's a good idea whether you're together or not. It's a family disease. And I didn't get that at the time. It would be a good idea for you to come. So he came home and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, get me. This is how I felt at that time. Get me out of the city. Uh, I, I, I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So I remember making Google. Google was my best friend. It was the only person I talked to about anything. <laughs> and I was Googling, what do you do when someone comes home from treatment so that you don't send them on a relapse? Mm-hmm. And as I'm spending the night Googling all of this, I thought, wait a minute, he talked about a family program. So I went back onto the site of the treatment center, started looking at the family program, and I thought, maybe I'll give him a call. Terrified to make the call. Mm-hmm. Because again, fear of judgment, fear of what are they going to think? Meanwhile, and, the treatment program, this is what they do. Just to, the, just to put in contact, is, right? This is what they yeah. do. They yeah. are hotline and they accept calls like this all day long. But yeah. I thought they're going to know it's Kelly Thorne from St. <laughs> Catharines, Ontario, and that she's a teacher and they're going to think poorly of me. Oh my goodness. The self-talk was crazy what we do. Yes. The self-talk was horrible. Yeah. But yeah. I, I called. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, we have a family program starting next week. Mm-hmm. Would you like to come? And again, I was still off work and I thought, hmm, I can get out of the city for a week. It was all about the escape for me. Yeah. My whole life was escaping from things. I mm-hmm. feared any type of conflict, any type of conf- confrontation. Um, so I think, and I think that's where a huge part of my alcoholism came in, was trying to escape from any type of feeling. So I, I decided to go to the family program. I stayed at my brother's that week. Um, and I remember driving up there again, I'm still listening to books on audio. And while I was Googling the information that night, there was a book that came up about blackout, um, or remembering the nights that you drank to forget something like that. And I thought, Oh, What's, what's this all about? Because this sounds a whole lot like my story right now, or just me, things I had been through. So I went to the treatment for the family week program, and it was, I want to say the first morning. We had, it was broken down into sessions, and it was the second session. The doctor came in from the treatment center, and he started to doing a talk to family members on alcohol and addiction and what it does to the brain. And he talked about the effect that alcohol has on different people. And I remember sitting there in the chair and I, I felt my heart sink mm-hmm. because I knew he was talking about me. And that was the first time that I felt, oh my gosh, I, I need to be here. Mm-hmm. I, I need to be here just as much as he did. Mm-hmm. And that's where everything changed for me. And that's where, that was the turning point for the blame as well. Because I couldn't point the finger anymore because I needed to take a look inward and turn the spotlight on myself and start, start doing the work there. Mm-hmm. 
I'm so, I mean, I'm so proud of you. And thank you so much for sharing that part of your story. Cause I think it's really important for people to go and just relate to this fact of here you were afraid to call because of fear of judgment of what people would think. You think you're calling so that you can support a spouse. And meanwhile, as you get involved in the program, you're like, oh shoot, I'm actually here for myself. And I actually do need to do this. And yeah. yes, this is an issue. And you went right straight into ownership. And I, I personally believe that's why a lot of your story has changed because I've watched you and how you have grown so much and you literally do like, I mean, I don't see you as a person who avoids confrontation and avoids difficult situations. Now I see you as a person who says, yeah, all right, this is what we've got. This is how we're doing it. These are my boundaries. I'm not budging on it. And you know what? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to avoid. I just, I see you so different in all of those aspects now. Yes. And, and communication, learning how, <laughs> learning how to communicate with someone because not, you know, you can have difficult conversations, but they don't have to be confrontational. And I didn't know how not to do that. I didn't know how not to accuse, how to judge, mm-hmm. how not to blame. Um, it was almost like relearning, relearning a whole, whole lot of things again. I look at it as like relearning to be a human. And can we just be human and kind and to each other? Um, This is totally not related to the topic. But as I went to work this morning, I mean, like this, we're the day after the Super Bowl, the day that we're doing this. And I mean, it was just a madhouse of people who agreed, didn't agree with what JLo or Shakira did. And it was just like, Hey, you know what? Can we just like say that they did an amazing job and like move on and not be critical? It's crazy. It's this whole where we live space that it's this, this, this judgment piece, this criticism, this deflection back on someone else. It's, it seems to be such a normal part of human nature that, I mean, it doesn't matter what the topic is. It just seems to gravitate back towards that. Mm -hmm. It's funny you say that because I was thinking about that on my way, on my way home today from work and I thought it was an amazing performance of dancing and I honestly I didn't even see any of the other stuff until I got to work the next day and I heard people talking about it and I heard it in the news and I thought wow did I just did I miss that (laughs) you know I still have the same show but I was I was I think I I was looking at the art right and the dance and two women working together the kids who came up Oh, you know, I was looking at the, you know, you can nitpick everything and everyone. Yeah. Right. You can always find something wrong with something. And I think a huge part of, you know, a huge part of my life is, and I think that that's why I have been so resilient is I was always looking for the good. Mm-hmm. something even even you know I used to say that to my kids even in the darkest of days there is still that light at the end of the tunnel there's still hope and you have to hang on to that hope I I I love that you said that and I do have to say I mean you have been somebody that I beyond grateful for in my life but I do see you as someone who is resilient and there have been times you and I have had conversations where if people knew half of what was going on in our lives, they'd be like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's not the case. It's how we handle it. And I, I, I just so commend you and how you show up 
and you take ownership of what you can, which is you. And I just, I'm so proud of you for that. And that transition that you've come through, is just amazing. It's a great example for your kids to see. It's a great example for students, right? And, and how transparent you are in situations. You've stepped into speaking in situations at school, correct? Yes. Yeah. How is that? What has that been like? I'd love to. She Kelly teaches at a high school level. Mm-hmm. So a friend of mine had asked me to talk to a group of grade twelves. Mm-hmm. I, you know, teach mostly grade nine, so they were none of my students, but they had been in the past, right. and they had been my students when they were in grade nine. So they would have experienced a completely different teacher four years ago. Mm-hmm. I was living in a world of chaos. I honestly don't know how I got through the workday. Mm-hmm. So they would have, I guess my perception was that things were chaotic, you know, right. and getting feedback from them. You know, I have a lot of good, you know, good feedback from them. Uh, maybe some of them haven't been completely honest. I don't know. But I was asked to speak to them as a grade 12 class on, um, drugs, alcohol, addiction, how you can get yourself into situations. And then how do you, and then what do you do to get out of them? Mm -hmm. Right. Because Mm -hmm. we're all human. We all make mistakes. There are going to be times that they're going to experiment. But where does, where does that cross the line to this is, this is maybe a problem that I need to look at. And no one, you know, I know in my case, as as a young adult, no one talked to me about anything. <laughs> no one talked to me other than don't do it. Right. Just don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then what yeah. if you do? And then yeah. if the message is don't, you don't want to go to that person because they've told you not to do something. So mm-hmm. you're afraid to even have the conversation and you keep digging yourself into um, a bigger mess. Really. Completely. Uh, so anyway, speaking to the grade 12 class, it was, I don't know if empowering is the right word, but it was my workplace. I lived in fear that someone would find out from work. What if I, what if I lose my job? What if, what if they think poorly of me? What if I'm not liked, right? Like, you know, I was a people pleaser. And the judgment, the fear of judgment, all of that. So to go back into my place of work and give the message and give the lessons that I have learned. Yeah. I I can't describe it. It's indescribable. So all of the things that you feared... And all of the things like that, that were right in the forefront of your mind of fearing what would happen with my job and mm-hmm. what would they me in judgment. And I think and the fear came from, be, yeah, I think the fear came because I wasn't taking ownership then. Mm-hmm. That's where the fear was mm-hmm. because I was waiting for someone else to spill my secrets. I was waiting mm-hmm. for someone else to share my story. And it had to be, it had to be me taking ownership for what happened in my life. Right. Are you happy that you were the one who could share it as opposed to it being spilled? Oh, for sure. And, you know, there's always going to be people who think they know your story and they're going to share what they think they know. Mm-hmm. And, and that's fine. But unless you have lived, you know, people think they know your story <laughs> and, oh, and they, they, they don't even know a fraction, right? But oh. they, they know what you've shared. 
Yeah. And there's a lot of parts of my story that I will never share because I don't feel it's appropriate, but, but it doesn't mean I haven't extracted lessons that I can share. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I think it's just so powerful because I, I just think there's so much power in your story and I'm so grateful to have you here because I believe there's a lot of power in sharing stories, but you are somebody who went from not trusting your voice, taking a hundred tries to do a video, to being afraid to share your story at, at your workplace, to then sharing your story, speaking openly at your workplace and helping and impacting these kids, as well as speaking at meetings and speaking at other events. And I just think you've taken that completely and transformed it. So I think you're in a, a prime example of what can happen when you really take that ownership and share your story and you put it out there for the world of good. It's not putting it out there to say, oh my gosh, wait till you hear the guts on this story. It's not that. It's right? right. It's that ownership piece and then sharing that to help others. So I absolutely love what you have done and what you continue to do. And I'd love to ask you, like, what do you see coming up in the next year, two years? Where, do you, where would you like to see things go for you with what you're doing with your story and sharing? So my plan, because, you know, people look at addiction and they look at the addict or the alcoholic and they think it's their problem that they need to take care of. Mm-hmm. Anyone who, anyone who's involved in that person's life, whether it's a parent, a son or daughter, a sibling, um, even a coworker, a friend, right? I, I always describe it as it's like dominoes, right? You have the person who has the addiction and every person that they touch is affected by their actions, yes. their words, what they do. Um, so, and I didn't realize how much of an impact addiction had on families oh. and how far down the generations addiction can go. Oh, and if you're not having the conversations, I know with my own kids, they're at a young age, uh, but they're not young enough where they don't know what it looks like or what it feels like. Right. So having honest conversations with them and having them ask me honest questions and being completely honest and transparent with them. Mm -hmm. Because I feel if you're hiding things as a parent, (laughs) you're going to lose them. especially when I've seen in the case of your kids, for example, but, and other kids, but they like, when they're asking the questions, when your kids are in a space that they're actually asking the questions, I think it's really important to honor that that takes a lot of bravery for them to ask. So we don't want to shut it down, lie to them and push on because it's a difficult topic. I like that you do, um, that you do handle that and talk to them about it. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there's different types of conversations that you'll have depending on the age of your children, right? Right. They need to be age appropriate, but kids are learning a lot quicker than we think they do. Mm -hmm. And, and I think the most important thing as a parent is being respectful to all parties involved. And, you know, honesty is important as well as showing respect and love when you're having the conversation completely which you know you just reminded me of um the book a children's book (laughs) that i foresee my future but what i would love to do is help families who are living alongside addiction find freedom 
um, because that's what I, I, I forgot how to do was learn how to love myself and take care of myself and protect myself. Just, you know, boundaries that I didn't know existed. I didn't even know what the word meant. Mm-hmm. And, and then learning how to remove guilt that's associated because you take on, you know, maybe if I could have done things different, you know, you beat yourself up with guilt. So my, my ultimate goal is to help families who are living alongside mm-hmm. addiction, find freedom, remove guilt and empower themselves on their own journey. Oh, that is absolutely beautiful. And I so honor what you are doing because this is not something that a lot of people would jump into. And I just, I just, I'm I'm so proud of you. And I honestly, I love what you're doing. So you've started a Facebook group, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And for this, what's the name of it? It's called Finding Freedom from an Addicted Loved One. Nice. And I think that's... I think that's the big misconception is you're not walking away from that person. Mm-hmm. They're still a part of your life, but it's learning how to navigate that, learning how to manage your emotions, learning what you're responding to and what you're not going to respond to. And then that's, you know, putting those boundaries in place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I know when I talk to other people, the journey you know, no one wins. No one, no one comes out victorious from this, but you can stand on stable ground again. And I think that's the message that I want people to see is it doesn't need to be all consuming. You know, there are things that are still going to come up that you have to deal with, but you'll just have different tools and ways of handling things now that you didn't have before. See, and that's can stand on stable ground is a great way to say it because it doesn't mean that things aren't going to go wrong. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean it's over. No, it doesn't mean it's over. I think that sadly the hard part in all honesty, when you're dealing with an addiction and a family, um, it, it, it may never change. It may, that the situation may never change. And sometimes that's frustrating or sad to think about, but it really might not. So that's why it's so important that we, that like we learn how to handle situations Mm -hmm. and And acceptance acceptance is key yeah yeah it's not our job to change people it's really not our job it's our job to live our best life and be the example but it's not our job to change people no no i'm so so crazy proud of you so crazy proud of you for everything that you're doing so where can people find you and connect with you and i'll make sure all the notes are in here but where's the best place to reach you at I would say Facebook yeah. or, you know, through my page, you can find me on Kelly Thorne. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And um, I'm on Instagram as well. Okay. Uh, but my Facebook page is on um, Facebook if it's a private group. But, you know, if you it, it's it's public, it's public that you can find it. Perfect. I'll make sure that that's connected in the notes as well. I would love to ask you one more question if I can. And it is the wrap up question is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? Oh, 
it's hard when you know the question, you listen to the podcast, but then all of a sudden you're in it, right? And it's like, oh, what's my answer? Clearly, I have never listened to the end <laughs> of a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to kick yourself. <laughs> yeah. What lesson am I most grateful for? Yeah. Oh, Marsha. Mm-hmm. Mm, I think... I think the lesson or I guess this not secret, but the lesson for me was not in fighting to keep my old ways and my old ideas, mm-hmm. but in recreating new, recreating new patterns for myself, recreating new, new ways of doing things, being open-minded to other possibilities that were out there and being open-minded or being in a position to receive help. Yeah. Because Um, a lot of times we think we have all the answers. We don't. We really don't. And if you're open enough to, um, you know, you might not agree with everything right away, but being open to receive it Mm -hmm. and learning how to recreate uh, really a new life for yourself. Mm -hmm. It's so true. And honestly, it's so, so, so true. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. We don't, we don't actually, we don't learn those things until we have to. Like I would say the power of surrender is so, it's so powerful. I wish I could have learned earlier, but you don't learn it until it's the last thing you have to learn. You've tried everything else. So it is literally the last thing to learn. Mm -hmm. And even when you think you've surrendered, there's, yeah. You know, I have a quote here. When I think I've surrendered, I surrender some more yeah. because there's still another place of learning that you can go to another place of healing that you can go to. Yeah, absolutely. That is so, so true. Thank you so much for being here today, Kelly, and for sharing and being so real and honest with everyone. And I just, like I said, I said it before, I'll say it again. I'm so crazy proud of how much growth you've had and how you are openly and courageously standing and sharing your story with others with the intention of impacting their lives and making a difference. So I just, I couldn't be more proud. I'm so happy for you. And thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.